For the first time ever, I am thrilled to say we have an official sponsor for the Dirk Talk podcast, and that's Ariat. I've worn Ariat boots on every job site I've visited over the years, traveling in them across five continents. More importantly, I have yet to find a single project where working folks, unlike me, are not wearing Ariat boots and workwear in every condition imaginable. And there's really good reason for that. And that's because it's phenomenal stuff. And the more I've learned about Ariat and the company, the more I've loved their brand. So with this, Ariat is offering any Dirt Talk listener 10% off their next Ariat order at ariat.com slash Dirt Talk. That's 10% off boots, jeans, and workwear at ariat.com slash Dirt Talk or at the link in this episode's description. With that, let's get to the show. Welcome back to Dirt Talk Podcast, Monday edition. It's me, Aaron Witt, joined by my co-host, Alex Horton. Hey, y'all. We're here to make the dirt world a better place, and we're excited to talk to you today. I don't know what we're going to talk to you about, but I mean, I've had some exciting stuff happen this week. I have some exciting stuff happening next week. There's lots to get in there, and Alex said we have some great questions. Very good questions. So not great, very good, though. Yeah, well, well, you know, we'll work on it. We'll try, we'll we'll try to get it. great. Well, I mean, last <laughs> week, so we're pretty damn good. I'm, I'm telling you that they just keep coming. The it, hits keep coming. Yeah. The, so the questions are getting too good, and it's really exposing my uh, just stupidity. Um, I, f- I feel like I'm being exposed because the questions are so well thought out and so smart, and I'm not able to provide very good answers for them. And so people are going to start thinking like, wow, this guy really doesn't know anything, which would be true. Well, let me tell you, this podcast is too big to fail. That's what people say about us. Yeah. We have five listeners. We're too big to fail. Too big to fail. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're, we're excited to be here. And I guess to, to get right into it, I don't know what your agenda looks like over there. We can get right into it. I just want to get right into it. So I'm coming off a high because I've spent the past two days out in North Carolina Sanford, Raleigh, Clayton with Caterpillar to check out the skid steer compact track loader assembly plant, the wheel loader backhoe assembly plant, the fabrication plant they have for skid steers and their demo facility. Mm -hmm. Um, So I ordered the skid steer and it's a 259 D3, technically a compact track loader for you technical folks out there. Yeah, it's a CTL, okay? Everybody calm down. Nobody panic. (laughs) It has tracks. It doesn't have wheels. But I refer to everything just as a skid steer. Sure. Because it's still skidding around. It's just a skid steer, okay? I'm I'm, I'm happy to draw that line in the sand. Um, So I ordered this machine in December. Very excited about it. I could have got one in December, but... I wanted custom paint on it. Sure. There's two options with custom paint with with skid steers. You can either have the dealership paint it or someone else paint it after it's so it comes yellow mm-hmm. and then you get it painted or um, you just get it done at the factory, which is rare for machines. Skid steers, as far as I know, are the only machines that you can order any color of at the factory. Ooh. So 
I wanted to do that because it would be, it's as perfect of a paint job as you can get. Um, no offense to the aftermarket paint jobs, but it's just not factory. Well, they're painting all this before they put it together. Yeah, yeah you, you, you can't, you, you just can't really get as close as they are to it. Yeah. So, so the paint job would be immaculate. I would be able to select whatever options I wanted to. So I got every, every option I wanted. And then the cool thing was, the deal was, I was able to go see it on the assembly line. So I ordered, the, I ordered the machine and the date they gave me was May. So I've been waiting since December for this week, this past week. And there were two groups that really helped out here. Thompson Machinery, the local cat dealer, has been nothing but extraordinary. If you haven't heard, we had uh, Trace Hall from Thompson on the podcast a few episodes ago. Great episode. Mm-hmm. And so Trace, Kirk... Darren, other people at Thompson, Jeff, they've all just been extraordinary, very helpful. And they set up a a really wonderful trip in which we flew on the Thompson plane out to North Carolina, which was a treat in itself. And then the folks at Cat Construction, uh, BCP Group, Building Construction Products Group, really, really spoiled us out in North Carolina. We were the first tour they've had since covid Oh, wow. Yeah. And they really like giving tours. So everybody was really fired up, or at least they said they were fired up about us being there, yeah. which was super cool. And we flew in, we had lunch, and then we went right to seeing our machine, our little 259 on the assembly line, which was really spectacular. And I got to sign the machine with a Sharpie, um, which was something I've always wanted to do since I found out that they did that the mm-hmm. last time I toured the factory. And the last time I toured the factory was in 2018. And I told them, hey, next time I'm, I'm here, I'm going to be picking up my machine. Yep. I'm a man of my word. Um, but they, the, the coolest thing about it was not the machine on the line, but they, they built me a, a plaque with a, a, a cat um, like logo trade dress piece on it that was pulled off of a loader because it was marked as defective, which was a cool little note. Mm-hmm some cat bolts on it, a cat key on it, a little pla- like a little, you know, build with 259 D3 skid steer, a little plaque on it. And then on the back is the coolest part because it was signed by every factory worker that helps build the machine. So cool. It's and there's so many signatures on it and it's just so I was talking to Chase this morning. It's just so cool seeing these people so proud of what they make and how they make it and things being made in the United States. Since it's not all that common these days. Mm-hmm. And I have a lot of respect for international factories. I've been to a few of them now and they're nothing but amazing, but it's, you just get a different feeling and sense of pride when you're at an American factory with American people making wonderfully made American products and they go through and, and they're just the pride of what they do is so apparent through their, through their words. Um, so that was spectacular. So we, we saw the machine on the line which was 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 really really amazing. Uh, we saw the fabrication facility, and it was done by the facility manager. So we kind of got to go there. Like, yeah, no, if you do a normal tour, it's never like this. We're going in all sorts of places we're not cool. supposed to go to. Um, so that was really neat. Went out to dinner. Next day, went to Clayton, toured the loader factory where they do assembly of like nine twenty eights, nine thirties, nine thirty eights, I believe. 
And then we spent the afternoon at their demo facility in Clayton, cool. which is like they have every mini excavator out there, every skid steer out there, small dozers, small excavators, small loaders, everything's out there. Uh, we got to see their cat command set up for their loaders where we were operating the loader from inside the building, and but you could see the loader through the window, <laughs> which is pretty neat. Eric Jumper got to run the loader by remote control, yeah, that line, was cool. line of sight. Uh, and then we just got to mess around the afternoon. Um, so they set up a bunch of different events for us, like shooting baskets with the loader or that stacking cool. tires with, there's a bunch of people walking down the street right now. Oh yeah, time to party, folks. They got their fanny packs on. They are ready to rumble. The funny thing about Nashville is it's kind of just a party. Like That's why, that's why people hours. come here when they don't live here. <clears throat> yes. Yeah, so it's Friday morning. We're recording this on a Friday and those people, they're going to start drinking. All of those bars are open at 10 a.m. Every single one downtown. And it's 10 a.m. There they go. And they're going to be there till 2 a.m. Yep. <laughs> and the, the mask the mask mandate was just lifted today mm-hmm. for, for Nashville, Davidson yep. County. So it is going to be Ooh. a fiesta yes. tonight. I know where I'm going to be going. <laughs> Trick. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it just I, I can't say enough good things about the folks at Caterpillar. And that's why, that's why I went with a cat machine is because I've always had an affinity for that business. Yeah. And people give me shit for it on the internet. I'm fine with admitting it. I, I love Caterpillar. I'm still a Caterpillar shareholder. I've, I've, you know, had my sixth birthday party at the cat dealership. It was this, this week was, I, I just don't think they understood how special it was for me to have that moment in time because it's something I've dreamed of since I was a small child of having a machine. And here I am 26 years old getting a machine for myself. Like it's just, yeah, it was a really, really big deal. And the entire time I was just, it was just really surreal for me to be like, wow, I, I, I've been busting my ass for this many years and it's like starting to come together. Like this is really amazing. And I have nothing but appreciation for everybody at at Cat that that helped make it happen. Um, shout out to Caitlin; um, she really really helped us out there. Michael, tour guide, was was extraordinary. Robbie at the demonstration center was just like nothing but friendly. And hey, Robbie, can we run? Can we go run a three hundred two? Yeah, sure. Let's just go over there and run the three hundred two. Or hey, Robbie, Eric wants to run the D three. Okay, sure. Yeah, let's go run like. They're just great folks. Yeah. Um, Joel and the loaders. I mean, I, I can go on and on. BJ, we we went out to dinner dinner with him. Um, so, and I don't I don't want to keep gushing over Caterpillar because that's going to rustle the jimmies of of other folks naturally. But I'm, it was it was a really cool week for me, dude. I'm super happy for you. I'm I'm super happy for what uh, having official build with. Skid Steer is going to do for our business, what that means, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And I'm excited that I live in Nashville with you, which means I might be one of the first build with people to get to sit in it, which is cool. And, and that's why I got it. I want to put as many people in that machine as possible and allow as many people to experience running a Skid Steer as possible. Heck yeah. Um, it, it is for me. There's a selfish side of it, but but like when we rent, when we went and, and rented equipment from Thompson for a company meeting in December. Yeah. I, I ran it a little bit, but I didn't run it a whole lot because it was way more fun for me to watch other people who had never run equipment before experience running equipment for the first time. Yeah. It was so much, so much 
more fun for me than to run the equipment itself. Uh, and that's what I want to do. I want to start doing that. And, and this is kind of our first step. And I told Caterpillar, this is the first of many machines we're going to have. And we are going to have a lot of machines down the road. And yep. I know there's, you know, like Kirk, when we got off the plane, he's like, yeah, all right. So uh, now that you got the 250, 259, let's start talking about that 6015, which is a big <laughs> yeah. mining size excavator. And he was clearly joking about it. But in my mind, it's like, I mean, I think we could do that down the road. Yeah. And which sounds fucking insane right now, but the plans I have in my head, it's, it's, it fits right in with where we want to go. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. So that, that's my week. Um, and then I'm coming off of that into, I'm in a group called Arte Syndicate run by Andy Frisella, Ed Milet. Um, if you haven't seen them, either one of them, I highly encourage you to look, look them up. Andy Frisella, Ed Milet. Andy's definitely uh, not for everybody. Um, but He's a 75 hard guy, right? Yeah, but yeah. but holy shit, yeah, 75 hard will will be will do wonders for anybody. Um, and and I started the business largely, and I started Buildwit. And I don't know, have I told the story like when I was riding my bike at home, listening to Andy's podcast, and kind of the inception story? Parts of it, parts of it. So I don't know. Maybe I'm repeating myself or not. But I'd listened to Andy's podcast. I started, I distinctly remember I started listening to his podcast when it first began because I was following him before he started the podcast mm -hmm. through his car, car content, his Lamborghinis and that kind of thing. When I was working on the railroad and I'd have long, long drives out to the railroad every week. So you were I, working on the railroad all the live long day? All the live long day and night. And I was listening to his podcast and, and just and loved him. And then I moved out, um, but but just before I moved to, to Texas, there were a few episodes. One was on personal branding. One was on how to leverage social media. One was on marketing. And it just clicked for me when I was riding my bike home one day. That's like, holy shit. I have all these pictures of all these job sites. I need to start sharing them on, online. Like this is huge. And so I went down legal pad, jotted down a bunch of notes, circled the one that sounded the best, build with, looked it up on Instagram. It was available Great. Took Buildwit on, on Instagram, bought a, bought a URL, started editing my, my pictures, started posting them, and then here we are, 126. So that's all to say that, I mean, it's, it's would this have happened if, it, if he wasn't around? Perhaps. I was always going to start a company. Mm -hmm. But he was a massive reason and a massive catalyst for why and how I started this. And I'm forever grateful for that. And so earlier this year, I was like, I really, and I've, I've, I've listened to him and then Ed, who I, I, I met through Andy Frisella, virtually met. Yeah. Uh, and now I've listened to him too and, and love what he has to say. And I look up to these two, two men as men. I, I really, really admire them. And that's the big thing I think people don't realize is, I know I'm rambling on this podcast, but there's just a lot of thoughts here. Yeah. For, for mentors, like you don't need to know the people. You don't need to have some guy that lives down the street to mentor you anymore. You can go watch people on the internet and I've, I've talked about this and just, just watch what they do and how they live their life and pick up on, holy shit, like that's a pretty good thing to do. So I've learned a lot from these guys and earlier this year I was thinking, I really want to meet these guys at some point. But then the second thought was like, I have no idea how the hell I'm going to meet these guys. And I've seen them speak live, but it's with thousands of people yeah. and you know, everybody you, wants to meet them. Everyone wants to meet them. But they're, thanks to me being in the Arte Syndicate since it began a few years ago, I there was an opportunity where they're doing 
RTA Syndicate live in St. Louis for the first hundred people that signed up. And it was expensive. It was a lot of money, um, but it's well worthwhile. Yeah. And some people won't understand spending that kind of money to go to a two-day event, but it makes perfect sense to me from you know how much is that two days going to impact my business long-term? And you translate that to dollars and then it's like, okay, the math works on this very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's, actually, it's actually three days in St. Louis where we're going to the First Form headquarters for a few days. Yeah. Um, we're having dinner at Andy's house one night. We're having, we're spending a lot of time at their headquarters and then we're having dinner at his farm another night. Really cool. And so it's just a hundred people. All hundred people had to spend quite a bit of money. So these will all be pretty important people. Yeah. So just the group as a whole is extraordinary and they cater to entrepreneurs, business owners. And I can't believe they let you go. I can't believe it either. Um, in their last event that they did, they had like, David Goggins and oh Peyton gosh. Manning and Steve Wozniak. I mean, <laughs> so they bring people in to speak all yeah. day as well. It's crazy. That's cool. Um, so that's where I'm going this Sunday. I'm flying out to St. Louis. It starts Sunday night and it goes through Tuesday night. That's going to be sick, dude. <laughs> wow. It's, yeah, it's just, it's really surreal. It's like, and again, I, yeah, you, you bust your ass for, for, for years. And it's like, I've been working like a dog since I was 16 15 starting in Montana, which doesn't say a whole lot, but it's like, I've been nonstop for 11 years now, 26. Yeah. I got a head start. And it's not all that different with a lot of these people. I'm not saying I work harder than anybody else, but like you just bust your ass for 11 straight years focused on one single thing. And I think that's what differentiates me from others is a lot of people just wander. Whereas I've been I've had intense focus on a single thing for 11 years now. And just now things are really starting to come of it. Like mm-hmm. picking up my machine at Sanford yeah. Caterpillar or going and have having dinner at Andy Frisella's house. Like it's just so That's nuts. surreal. Yeah. So yeah, I'm in a really, I just feel like a kid on Christmas Eve right now. And it's a really cool feeling to feel like that as an adult. Very cool. Yeah. I'm excited for you, man. I can't wait to hear about it. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm. Unless it's like a Fight Club thing where they're like, the first rule of this weekend is you don't talk about this weekend. Yeah, I'll, I mean, I'll talk about it as much as I I can. Yeah. Um, the only downside is I had to buy. So one of the dinners they have dress code. There's a dress code. One of the dinners you're required to have a sports coat, and then the other dinner it's full suit cocktail attire. Wow. And I did not have either one of those things. And you're like, well, you know what my company does? <laughs> we wear t-shirts to client meetings. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm wearing a, a collared shirt today. Uh, I'll get pretty fancy. It's a Hawaiian shirt, everybody, but it, it does have a collar on it. It has a collar. We didn't have to mention that. <laughs> it's true. Tro- tropical Friday. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I go to weddings wearing like a button down. That's about as nice as it gets for me. Yeah. Um, so I had to go buy a suit the other day. Well, you do run a business at some point. I mean, I think you would have been pressured to buy a suit some other way. So I've it's been, a good idea. But I've been pressured on. and I haven't given in. But this is this is <laughs> the one thing I was like, God, I'm not going to get around this. Yeah, I'm not going to be the one guy. Um, what if they sent you home? You know, you got to be ready. Honestly, they probably would. Like they don't. These guys don't fuck around. Mm-hmm. Um, Discipline and very serious. So yeah, the, the suit thing is not for me. But I just got one the other day, and uh, here I am. Well, I'm proud of you for buying your first adult suit. 
Yeah, I've had them in the past, but yeah, I, I didn't have. Uh, yeah, I didn't have one right now. So I mean, I guess now I'm ready for my wedding. Even though that I don't think you wear just any suit at a wedding, you get yeah, dressed. Yeah, whichever up. one you had, it's fine. That's what I would think, <laughs> but I I don't know if it works like that. No, I had I had one made for my wedding. It's, I think it's that's pretty typical to at least like put a little extra detail in for that. But yeah, but but the whole wedding thing, a little a little far off for me. Yeah, you don't necessarily have to sign up your new suit for that, but you could. Yeah, you don't have to. Yeah, I do. Uh, I I do want to wear cowboy boots at my wedding though. That's a good move. Or just your area at Cascades. I don't know if that will fly. Well, if the venue has an escalator, it'll be pretty fresh. That's, yeah, they'd be so shiny. People would have to wear sunglasses. <laughs> uh, I think we about touched it on the BuildWit stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah, we really got into it there. Mm-hmm. I'm just so excited about stuff. And then, holy smokes, like, that's exciting, but next month, the stuff we have to talk about next month, yeah, yeah, like, whoa! So, buckle up, everybody. And that's the second time I've said that this morning because I said it on our internal podcast too. But buckle up; it's gonna be good. Great. All right, I think it's time for questions. Let's do it. Great. First question from Nate Moraz. AKA Red Rock Industrial Photography. Oh yeah, I know Nate. As you know, I followed your work since the beginning and I've always been curious. Your work features everything from skid steers to custom made mobile conveyors. However, I noticed backhoes don't seem to be represented much on your portfolio, especially since they're probably the most common and recognized piece of equipment in the dirt world. Are you just not a backhoe guy? So backhoes are not necessarily as common as people think. They are common in certain areas, like mm-hmm. Arizona, very, very common. You go to other parts of the country, though, not as common. Um, with backhoes, I don't know. I, I just, I, I actually don't see them all that much working. Like, I think that's why they're not on there because I'm trying to think of when the last time I actually like saw one working. Well, what's funny is I think in the non-dirt world, it's one of the more popular terms for a piece of equipment. Yeah, and, and it's interchangeable. So I think he's talking about backhoe as like it has the loader on the front, excavator on the, on the back. Mm-hmm. But you can, some people call backhoes excavators, like excavators, backhoe interchangeable term yeah. there. Uh, funny, fun fact, the backhoe was the first piece of heavy equipment I really learned how to operate when I started in construction. Interesting. We had this little John Deere backhoe on the, on the pipe crew and project I was working on. And I would ask the foreman, we had like a pile of gravel sitting in the yard and I would ask the foreman to stay after work. And, you know, you put your little outriggers down and put your bucket on the ground and then you spin the seat around and start just wiggling the sticks and see what it does and try to pick up the gravel and put it down and then move it and try not to make too much of a mess so you can do it again the next day. And then I graduated to being able to drive it around. So I'd be like cruising through the neighborhood that all my friends lived in at like five in the morning (laughs) On a Tuesday in July, you know, it's already 107 yeah. degrees at five, driving the John Deere backhoe. And I felt like the man. Sure. I mean, I was this little, little kid. I'm still a little kid. So it probably looked pretty funny. Like, I think that kid's like 12. Why is he in a backhoe? But I'd be driving, driving through the neighborhood in the backhoe, just feeling like the absolute man. Oh, yeah. So I have an affinity for backhoes. I just don't 
there's not a whole lot of opportunities of uh, photographing them. I guess. I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, Nate, thanks for calling me out. Maybe I need to start looking for backhoes more. Maybe they are out there and I'm just ignoring them. Well, it's like one of those things where, um, you know, when you get a new car, then you see that car everywhere. Yeah, I, mean, I do if know. You're like, if you're not like specifically yes. thinking about it. Correct. It's maybe not what's like catching your eye. Correct. Because I'm sure you, yeah. well, I mean, you've been a skid steer guy. I think everybody knows you're a skid steer guy. A big skid steer guy. And so I think probably every skid steer within like a sniffing radius, you're like, there's one over there. You know what I mean? You're I, like, I, yeah, at yeah. some point you're going to be like tuned into one piece of equipment versus another. Just No, it's getting to the nature. point where I'm like, I can be sitting here and tell you there's a skid steer around the corner working right now. You just know what that sounds like. Uh, it, you just feel it. You're like, there's a skid steer around here somewhere. <laughs> uh, yeah, the backhoes, but but backhoes very common in Arizona. Yeah, um, and uh, he's in Arizona, so I know that's why he thinks they're very common. Sure. But I some might argue the point, but they're just not everywhere. Okay. Well, lesson learned for me. And, 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 you know, smaller contractors probably use them in a more disproportionate way than larger contractors. And we tend to work with larger contractors. Mm-hmm. So, because are you saying smaller contractors would use them because they're like a little bit more versatile? They can just do a lot of different things? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But it's two machines in one. Yeah. So, there you go. Um, you got the back and you got the hoe. Yeah. But as far as like being the, yes. As far as being one of the most popular pieces of equipment goes, I know like um, with Caterpillar, the two best-selling machines are the D6 and the 320 excavator. So if it was the most popular, their backhoe would be number one. It's true. Uh, Well, cool. Thanks, Nate. Appreciate it. Thanks for reaching out. Next question from Dave Cutler. He's uh, submitted a couple questions over the last couple months. No, it wasn't pretty good. Um, his question is, what's the scariest near miss you've had on a construction site? What did you learn from it? And what do you do differently now to avoid being in that situation again? The first one that comes right to mind was we were building a trench box. And this was my second year working in construction. So I was working for a like medium-sized contractor in Arizona as, as a laborer uh, on a pipe crew. We were out in Maricopa, Arizona on the Indian reservation Mm -hmm. out there putting in a water line across a golf course. It was, it was really unique. It was, it was actually a a really fun job. And we were building this trench box. It was a steel box. And so anyone that's built a steel box knows that they come collapsed. So they have the two steel sides and then the cylinders that go in between the box and four cylinders to make up the box. And then you, you connect the cylinders to the steel sides and then you put pins in, the, in some holes that are both in the box and in the cylinders. Mm-hmm. And then you, um, there you go. You have your, you have your box and you yeah. can lift it with an excavator, put it in the trench and just drag it along. So we were assembling the box and we were, we were and we had one of the sides on the ground. We had the, the steel posts, four steel posts laying, laying up and down yeah. in, the, in, the, in the one side. And then we were placing the other side on top of the posts and trying to wiggle the the steel posts into the top side because they're kind of all yeah, bent you out of you, shape. You're trying to get it all lined up. Yeah, and you have to go all four and, and get them lined up. And so I was trying to get the last one lined up and I was really trying to force it into place. And I had my fingers in one of the holes that was cut out 
and it wouldn't budge. And then I took my fingers out of the hole and right as I did, the excavator budged it into place and then it just, it was like a shearing motion of the smaller piece going through the larger steel post right where my fingers just were. And I saw that, I'm like, if that would have happened with my fingers in there, they would have, I would not have fingers on my hand anymore. Yeah, they just get clean cut off. No question. And I will never forget the feeling of just so genuinely like sick to your stomach. Holy shit. Like, I should not have fingers right now. Like, thank you, God. Like, someone was looking out for me because yeah. it was so close. And, and uh, yeah, I was, I was sick to my stomach after that happened. And I just learned... It's like a, it's a, it's a bummer to say, but also a, a reality. Like if you learn a lesson like that, you're going to be a hell of a lot more careful from then on. If something's that close, yeah, you're, you are really going to be mindful of where you put your hands on a site at all times. Um, and that's when that, I mean, that really drove home the importance of, I need to be aware of what I'm doing at all times. And just, it was like late in the day. So you, you have that, it's not heat exhaustion, but you know, middle of summer, Arizona is pretty brutal. So you're a little fuzzy and you're tired. And um, yeah, I think that's what I learned is just the general importance of safety and awareness on a job site. It's no joke and yeah. it can mess you up. At least that was one of the moments that personally really reinforced it for me. Well, yeah, you don't, you don't forget that lesson. No. Nothing bad happened though. Thank goodness. I've never been hurt on a job site and I hope to never be. And then not only that, but like you have your experiences and then you hear stories from other people in the industry. Everybody listening to this has probably heard some pretty horrifying stories from the industry and people getting hurt and maimed and killed even. And that's the kind of stuff you don't forget too. There's some stories that I just, that are seared into my mind for better or for worse, or pictures that people show you. Yeah, that's just, it's sick. Some of the stuff that, that, that happens and it just, you don't forget that kind of stuff. And I mean, there's a reason that they tell those stories during like training, you know, during, during different trainings, because like that's the stuff that sticks more than saying you shouldn't put your hand here. Yeah. They'll say you shouldn't put your hand here. And that's because things like this can happen. Yeah, and, the, you know, and, and that's just human nature that, that that's where you learn a lesson like that. Either yeah. it happens to you or you know for a fact that it happened to somebody else and, and that it could happen to you. And the whole like missing finger thing, it's I wouldn't say it's uncommon. Yeah. I mean, I've met a lot of people that are missing fingers from work accidents. A lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, it happens quick. Ugh. Ouch. Well, I'm glad you have all your fingers. I am too. Yeah. I am I'm really glad. I've always been like really like weird and sensitive to um, like hand injuries. Like I'm a musician in another life Mm -hmm. and that just like that ends that part of my life, you know? Yeah. I mean, well, and I've just always been like scared of like that idea, you know, all these blue collar folks too. I mean, they use their hands to make their living. Yeah. They don't have their hand They're They're not making money to feed their families. So it's, it's, it's a big deal. Um, and I, I remember my friend's dad used to give us so much and he was, he would be so pissed off when we were shooting fireworks at each other as kids and like, like for fear of like blowing it up on our hand or something like that. And he would not like that. 
would not think it's funny. Mm-mm. Oh, well, thanks, Dave. Good question. All right, last question is from Vincent Ginovisi. Um, he's from Connecticut, and he, well, I'll, I'll say he's asking this question from the lens of he runs a construction company that has recently joined the Operators and Laborers Union. Mm-hmm. So that's the lens of this question. Can you talk about the way other companies around the U.S. transition employees? Typical track would be start as a laborer, move up to operator, then site foreman, um, eventually move into management role in the office. Best question. Yeah. Can you talk about the way other companies um, transition employees? Is that different from unions to non-union? Well, you, yeah, union, it's particular out in the field because you have, you're an apprentice and then you go to journeyman and there's... I'm not a I'm not I'm not I'm not a big expert on how the union structure yeah. operates but yeah there's it's like the military you know you do your time as a lieutenant then you move to captain then you mm-hmm. uh, the it, ranking yeah yeah um I guess in in traditionally yeah you'd start as labor and that's if but anybody in the industry best place to start labor regardless of where you want to go if you want to be an operator be a laborer. If you want to own a company, be a laborer. If you want to do anything at a construction company, start as a laborer. I could not, could not recommend that more. But traditionally, yeah, you start as a laborer, go to an operator. Maybe if you want to get into management, you become a foreman. Maybe then you become a, a superintendent. Um, and it's kind of two tracks too. It's it's similar to the military. You kind of have your enlisted guys and then you kind of have your um, officers. And I feel like officers is that... I went to school for construction management. So I don't, I'm not an operator or a foreman or a super. I go in as a project engineer, then maybe work my way up to project manager, then maybe become an estimator, then maybe become a vice president, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have that track. You have the field track, which I view is kind of enlisted. Mm-hmm. And then you have, it just mixes. You know, sometimes you can go from, you can go from labor to owning a, running a company. Yeah. Easy. Like a lot of people have done that. And that's typically the traditional path to, owning a company. Cause like I said, I feel like you can't effectively own and manage a construction company without having to know what it takes in every part of the business, especially out in the field. Well, there's something you can learn by shaking someone's hand who runs one of these, uh, like dirt moving companies where like you shake their hand and it's calloused and hard. It's like, okay, they've done work. They still work. Yeah. Most of them still work. Still work. Um, so I guess the problem with the industry is the the career pathing is not all that well thought out mm-hmm. and not all that well explained. And so I know there's a lot of confusion industry-wide as far as, okay, so I'm an operator and I want to become a foreman. It's like, where do I, what do I do other what, than just keep doing what I'm doing? What do, how do I do that? Mm-hmm. And then also there's a common misconception and I have... I am so guilty of this and thinking that everyone wants to just continue to progress indefinitely in a, in a, in a title and responsibility scale. Some people like there's a lot of operators out there that want to operate equipment and they don't want to manage people yeah. and they don't want to deal with that headache because it's a headache a lot of times and they, or it, maybe it's a very positive thing. Maybe calling it a headache is not the right word. Um, I should be more positive about it. They just don't want to. They just don't want that responsibility. Yeah. Or that's just not their skill set. They just don't enjoy it. They just like running a piece of equipment. 
and they want to be really good at that. They want to be really good at that. They can just become a better and better operator and make more and more money as an operator. You don't have to go become a vice president to make a lot of money in this world. Mm -hmm. So it's different for everybody and every company treats it a little differently. I think the common denominator between the people that have gone from wherever they are to a master in whatever craft, whether they're a chief estimator or an absolute wizard at running an excavator, they bust their ass. They're humble. They're hungry to learn. They are team players. They're always looking out for everybody else's best interests. Mm -hmm. Like there's a common theme there, regardless of what direction you want to head in at a business. Yeah. So I wish it was more defined at the bigger companies. It's a lot more defined. Like you go, you go to one of the big heavy civil contractors you're going to go like engineer one, engineer two. Like they do have a way more finite career pathing system. And then other, if you go to other companies, if you just work your ass off, play your cards right, have a little bit of patience. You can move up very quickly from nothing to something in just a few years without a, a degree holding you back, yeah. which is the exciting thing is you can move like the thing, the difference is in the military to go from enlisted to officer, you need a degree. That's a requirement. In construction, it's not a requirement. You can go from operator to PM to vice president without a degree. You just got to be like worth it and bring the right value. You just got to get after it. Yep. And that's what I like about this world is that everybody is judged based off their work ethic and the value they bring to an organization, not necessarily what they've done, who they are, what kind of education they have. Mm-hmm. I really like that. It's just purely based off of if you're going to bust your ass, you're going to put in the work, you can go anywhere. It, it definitely feels like this industry, um, those growth paths can be reasonably linear. It's like you know that if you know you start as a laborer when you're, when you're young, like you, you work your ass off, you work hard, like you're going to progress through you know that those lines of different positions um in due time when it makes sense you know as opposed to it just doesn't and i might be wrong i'm just saying this of, of my experience getting to know these companies and the industry as a whole that there doesn't seem to be as much politicking going from one position to another over like a, a grand span of time it depends and like i said like Progress is not always defined as a change in title. Yeah. Like that is, and I've learned this as a business owner, title is not worth a whole lot mm-hmm. in the end of the day. It does not matter what your title is. It matters what you bring to that organization yep. and what function you serve. Um, and so if you want to, be- I mean, if you're an extraordinarily valuable pipe player, like there's a difference between an amateur pipe player and a really extraordinary pipe player. Yeah. Or even like scraper operators, for example. That's, that's a really tricky position because an experienced scraper hand is worth their weight in gold, but it's viewed as an entry-level position and everybody wants to get out of the scraper. Yeah. So no one is, you know, very rarely are people really experienced at a scraper, but you see the people that are, and it is an absolute art and they are essential to that operation. Um, so you can... <laughs> Yeah, you can make extraordinary progress in this industry without a title change at the same time. Yeah, I think when I when I ask that, I think of it more as like the the hard work 
and the ability to bring value to like the company, like there, there are always going to be opportunities to get better at what you're doing and for like the company to see your, the increased value you bring as you gain more experience versus, um, you know, like as in, in another life, I was a web developer and in the tech industry, to to gain like you know the the next level of responsibility or whatever you often have to jump companies because everything is so flat yeah and it seems in, in the dirt world it's you know if you're a laborer but you want to be an operator be a badass laborer and keep your eyes open and ask questions for when you can start running equipment yeah right? i like the, I, I, I just yeah. think there's like a direct connection between each of those things for you to be able to become whatever like that next step is that you're interested in. I agree. And even if there's not, it's still possible. And it's like, I view it, it's on hundred percent your responsibility. Yeah. If you want to move up, that's on you. And, and sure companies should provide opportunity, but it's that extreme ownership model of if you want to go somewhere, it's on you. No one else gives a shit about you yeah. other than you. You are your best best advocate. Um, I'm a huge believer in that. And and there's a lot of people that they they whine and they have this victim mentality of oh I'm I'm still in this position and I've been working really hard and they just won't they just won't recognize me for it. it's like I, I don't have a lot of patience for that kind of mentality. Yeah, it's possible here. I mean, I see like Brett Baker down at Rosso. He's a good example. Yeah, he's. 24, 25, running their biggest job to date as a super, kicking ass at it. Started at the bottom. but And that's what I'm saying. It's like, worked hard, found ways to get better at what he was doing, and eventually somebody was like, he can probably do this next thing. And then you get thrust in that position, and then you figure out if you're capable of it or not. And if it's for you or not. Yeah, the big, the big thing is just defining... First, where you want to go. Do you want to own a company? Do you want to become the best estimator ever? Do you want to become an amazing project manager? Do you want to become an amazing excavator operator? Ex- excellent pipe pipe player? Work hard. <laughs> yeah. You just have to be honest with yourself. Where do you want to go? And it's not always about titles. Yeah. Agreed. I mean, for a long time, I built what you were the chief dirt nerd was your title. Still on. So like, one, one yeah. of your titles. Yeah, still I am. <laughs> I had to grow up a little bit, but that's my real title. In spirit. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks y'all for the questions. Um, hopefully uh, we provided y'all s- some good value. I asked the the dumb follow-ups and Aaron Aaron kept the, the good dancers coming. Um, Want to talk about our, our guest this week? Yeah, our guest this week is going to be Mr. Anthony Garcia from Rogers Group. Um, it's a really cool story. Rogers acquired Reed Contracting in Northern Alabama, Huntsville area um, earlier this year. So Rogers Group, a massive family-owned aggregate materials business out of Nashville. So they added this really large construction company to their to their portfolio. And Anthony's running that new business and was the one that really managed everything helped manage everything through the acquisition process. And we were pretty close to it because we were working with with Reed before and now we're working with Rogers Group as a result of the acquisition. So it's it's a really cool look into the world of how these large acquisitions happen. 
and why a materials business would want a construction company. His uh, kind of back and forth journey between Rogers and Reed is, is fascinating. I, I loved hearing yeah. him lay out. He's like, well, here's where I started. And then we went, to, you know, went back and forth. Yeah. Um, it's pretty cool. It's very nonlinear. Mm-hmm. He has a very cool story. Um, so it was, yeah, great, great conversation. I drove down to Huntsville. We did it in his office and had a good time. Nice. Yeah. So stay tuned for that this Thursday. Yeah. Great. I I think that's a podcast, Aaron. That's a podcast. Um, I guess with that, my weekly call to send in your questions, comments, concerns to dirttalk at buildwit.com. Email us. We'd love to hear from you. Alex would hear from you. I don't, he sends me everything. Yeah. Worth looking at, but please send us your mail questions, comments. We would love to hear from you. And Please keep sharing the podcast. It's growing. It's growing. We got exciting things coming up, Aaron. It's it's coming. Yeah. yeah there's a lot of cool stuff coming I'm, down. I'm feeling good. Yeah. And we, we're going to have our new home soon. Um, so everybody, thanks again for, for listening. Thanks again for your time. Thanks again for your support. And we'll see you on the next episode of Dirt Talk. Stay dirty. Stay dirty. Stay dirty.